good to see you here this morning. I'm going to stand up here because we have some folks sitting further back this morning. Um, we've been in a series on the commands of Jesus and uh, kind of a command that we overlook that introduces a lot of the other commands is found in Matthew 5 verses 17 through 20. The sermon is entitled Jesus and the Law. I can use either one. Thank you, Jim. Um, Jesus and the law. And how does Jesus relate to the law is the question. And what is the law? And, and what did Jesus do when he came? And all these things about the law. I, I distinctly remember in high school hearing all this talk about the law and having no idea what they were talking about. So we're going to look at that this morning and then how Jesus related to it and, and what he intended by his ministry and message to explain it. Matthew 5 verses, have you ever heard a sermon on the law? I don't think I've ever preached one on the law. Matthew 5, 17 through 20 says this, Think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever then relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But he who does them and teaches them shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus goes on in the remainder of chapter 5 and gives six examples of the Old Testament law and what he interprets by them, what he means when he explains fulfilling the law. So let's pray. God, as we come Reveal to us your, your law, your law, and help us to live it, not in order to be saved, but because we are saved and we want to reflect our love for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So Jesus comes and commands us to honor the law. And what does he mean by that? How are we to do that? Here's the, here's the situation. Jesus is standing in the middle between two extremes. And I've noticed any times there's, there, there's controversy in the church or in the Bible, there's always because people have taken something that Jesus has taught and taken it either to one extreme or the other. So Jesus is in between two extremes. And on the one extreme are the Pharisees who have taken the Old Testament law contained in the Torah, and I'm going to get uh, a little more detail about that in a minute. They've taken the Old Testament law and they've tallied up 613 individual laws in the Torah. 248 positive laws, 365 negative laws. Now Jesus is called a rabbi. And so these scribes and Pharisees come to Jesus and they want to know why are you not observing the law? Why are you letting your disciples pick grain and eat it on the Sabbath? Why are you healing a man's withered hand on the Sabbath? Why are you eating with tax collectors and sinners when they're unclean? Why are you doing all these things when that clearly is a transgression of the law and you call yourself, or at least people call you a rabbi, a teacher? Why are you doing that? And then on the other extreme are these folks who've heard Jesus' message and his gospel of grace. And they say, well, 
if we're saved by grace, if Jesus has saved us, then we can do anything we want to. Why do we have to obey anything? Why do we have to even look at the Old Testament law? Those are called, and I think I put this in your, in your bulletin, antinomians. They're also called libertines. Nomos is uh, Greek for law. So an antinomos would be somebody who's anti-law, against the law. So you've got your antinomians or libertines who believe in liberty, freedom on the one hand, do anything you want. And the Pharisees on the other hand, who are saying, why, Rabbi, why don't you teach your followers to follow the law, to observe the law? So this is an important theme in the Gospels. You aren't saved by doing the law, but you can't do anything you want either. How do the good works, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, how do they relate to our salvation? This is something that Jesus tries to explain throughout his teaching throughout his message. We have the law on the one hand, we have freedom in Christ on the other hand. How do those two relate? It's, I think it's the key to understanding Jesus' teaching and its relationship to the Old Testament. How do those two things go together? Does that sound interesting to you? I got excited about it this week. Maybe I'm the only one, but it, it really is interesting to me to see how Jesus relates to the Old Testament and the law. And it's all contained right here in these verses. So first of all, let's talk about what is the law? Like I said, in high school, I heard all this about the law. What is it? You know, what is it? Um, it's the name for the commandments of God given in the Old Testament. All the commandments of God, all the laws of God were lumped together and called the law, capital L, the law. 613, as I said, 248 positive, 365 negative. I wonder if that's a coincidence or if they worked out one negative command for every day of the year. 365 negative commands. So the law technically comes from the first five books of the Old Testament. What are those first five books? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books of the Old Testament. They are called the Torah. The Jews call them the Torah. The, the, the Jews who spoke Hebrew called them the Torah. The Jews who spoke Greek called it the Pentateuch. Penta means five, tuk means scrolls. So it's the five scrolls in Greek. It's referring to the first five books of the Old Testament. And this is where the, the laws of God are contained and lumped together. They're called, the 613 are called the law with 248 positive, 365 negative. These, these laws are attributed to Moses. And they are the most important. They hold the highest rank in the Old Testament canon in terms of respect and holiness that the Jews viewed. I distinctly, in, in seminary, we, we went to a, uh, a Jewish worship service. And I remember at the beginning of the service, this gentleman walked in holding the scroll of the Torah and he held it up and it was silence because there is such respect. They keep it in a locked box in the front of the synagogue. And then when it comes time to read it, he, he, there is you know, a lot of pomp and circumstance as he ushers it down the aisle, as he brings it to the rabbi, as the rabbi unrolls it and reads it, there is such honor and reverence in awe 
for the Word of God as it comes from the Torah. It's the most important part of the Old Testament from the Jewish perspective. So, what about us Christians? What do we do in terms of the law? Do we need to follow the law? Are we, how do we relate to the Old Testament law after Jesus? How do those two things go together? Well, I guess the most important part of the law you, you think of as the Ten Commandments. Number six is thou shalt not murder. Well, we do pretty good on that one. If you don't, you're not here this morning. You're in jail somewhere. Um, okay, so we've got that one down. What about number four? You know, what's, number, what's the fourth commandment? Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Do we do pretty good on that one? No. What's the Jewish Sabbath? It starts Friday night at 6 p.m. and goes through Saturday at 6 p.m. So we're not doing too well on remembering the Sabbath day according to the Jewish terms to keep it holy. And so, you know, there's some we, we observe, there's some we kind of bend a little bit, and yet here's Jesus in verse 18 that says, I say to you till heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. Some translations say not a jot, not a tittle. What are a jot and a tittle? A jot and a tittle are the punctuation marks in Hebrew. It'd be like a, not a comma, not a dot on the I, not a cross on the T will pass away until all these things are accomplished. So none of it's going to pass away, and yet we don't exactly know as Christians how we're supposed to relate to the law, the 613 laws in Genesis through Deuteronomy, what are we supposed to do about it? Well, Jesus tells us, and Paul helps us to explain what the law does. What was its purpose originally? Well, originally the law was given, do you remember when the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt into the wilderness? They had never been a people before. Once you were not people, but now you're my people, God says several times in the Old Testament. Well, they become God's people and they're a nation, and they're moving out into the wilderness, and they have no idea how to govern themselves. No idea. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to act? How are we supposed to behave in relationship to one another? So that's when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and came down with the Ten Commandments. These are the Ten Basics. These are how we are to govern ourselves, how we will be policing ourselves. And if you transgress any of these Ten Commandments, there's going to be serious consequences. And then those 10 were expanded, another 603, so you had 613. And incidentally, if you're a Pharisee and you're legalistic and you do these 613 laws pretty well and you take great pride in them, I mean, it becomes pretty important to you because you're, you consider yourself to be better than most. And so they had just excelled in doing that. The law became the standard of behavior for the Jewish people. The standard of behavior. And I actually heard a legend one time that if all the Jewish, all the Jews kept all 613 laws on that day, the Messiah would come. Of course, when's that going to happen? It'd be like every American obeying every law. That's, you know, that's, that's never going to happen. But uh, I think of the law like this sometimes. Um, when you, you who are teachers and you give a test, and you give a test, 
how do you grade the papers that come back in? Do you have, what do you call the answer sheet? A key, an answer key. So the, the teachers have an answer key, and then when all the tests come in, they'll grade the test of the students by the right answers, by the key. That's what I think of as the law. It is the key, the behavioral key from the Old Testament. Now, how many of us make a hundred on the law? How many? Zero. Who made a hundred? Jesus was the only perfect observer of everything. The one who never, never sinned, never sinned. The only perfect student of the Bible. Now, what, what score would you give us? 75, 60, 50, 35. Actually, I heard a preacher say one time, and I think he's probably right, we probably score in the low 10s. Somewhere between zero and five is where we are in terms of our righteousness, our goodness, our behavior. The Pharisees might be, I don't know, 65, 70, Something like, oh, and incidentally, people who make above a five. I was thinking about this this week. If you make a six or a seven, we would never know it because you're the kind of person that exercises your righteousness in secret. You don't do it for the show of men. So most of us, somewhere between zero and five, maybe 2.3, 2.8, something like that. And yet, and yet God says you've got to make a hundred. Your righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees or you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And they score like a 75 or 80, which you and I could never do, could never do. So here we are somewhere in the basement between zero and five and our score on the law. And um, we're just kind of squandering there. So what was the purpose of the law? Paul, I remember reading this in Galatians years ago. Galatians three verses 23 through 26 helps me understand the purpose of the law. Now, before faith came, we were confined under the law, kept under restraint until faith should be revealed so that the law was our custodian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. But now that the law has come, we are no longer under a custodian for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. The word for custodian there means tutor. It means kindergarten teacher. It means a babysitter, someone who takes a small child and raises them up part way. And so that's what the law did. It began to raise us and cultivate within us a sense of right and wrong, a sense of sin. Because apart from the law, I don't think we would understand our sin. The law reveals our sin to us. That's the purpose of it. It shows us our sin. It shows us how far from perfection that God expects that we have fallen. The law reveals our sin, but thank goodness Jesus saves us from it. Jesus saves us from it. Without the law, we'd never know about our sin or the depth of it. But with the law, we understand that we are sinners. We know that we have failed miserably. And Jesus came to save us from our sins. So what does Jesus say? We assume that once we have 
been raised by the law as, as, as a kindergarten teacher, as a tutor, as a, a babysitter, once we have gotten to a certain age and phase in life, we can assume the law has done its job and we can write it off. What does Jesus say to that? Verse 17, think not that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. The Greek word for fulfill is plerao. Plerao means, it doesn't just mean to fulfill, it means to complete. It means to be made full. So Jesus doesn't come to abolish the law, he comes to complete it. He comes to bring it to its completion. The Old Testament law was an imperfect guide to God's will for our lives. Jesus came and he lived and showed and taught us how the law was intended to be completed, how it was intended to be fulfilled. Hebrews 10 verse 1 puts it like this. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices which are continually offered year after year make perfect those who draw near. The law is a shadow of good things to come, which is the true form of the realities. The law is a shadow. Some translations say a precursor of the real thing, the complete thing, the true form, who is who? It's Jesus. The law is a shadow of Jesus. And Jesus is getting behind the law in his teachings in the New Testament. What he does is he gets behind the law to its original intention, to its original design. He is teaching the true and deeper meaning behind the law. And in the remainder of, of Matthew 5, as I said, he gives six good examples. For instance, the food laws. It's not what goes into a mouth that makes a man unclean, Jesus says, is what comes out of his mouth. The Jewish food law said it's, it's all about what you eat that makes you unclean. It's all ab about the clean foods and unclean foods and all the dietary laws that they had constructed. It's all about that that renders a person unclean. But Jesus says, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean, it's what comes out. What's he talking about? His speech, his actions, his behavior. It's because it what comes out of a man comes out of the heart. What goes into a man goes through his stomach. What comes out of a man comes from his heart. The Old Testament law is written on paper. The New Testament law is written on our hearts. It's a covenant that's written on our hearts. So we don't relax the Old Testament law. We don't abolish the Old Testament law. Jesus completes it. Jesus fulfills it and he teaches us to do the same by getting behind the intent of the original law and, and understanding what God's design for us originally was. Because the Old Testament law is all about external appearances. Don't do this, do that, don't do this. It was all about external appearances, which was, I said, it was necessary for a new nation to have some laws that could be observed and policed and governed. Thou shalt not murder, is what the law says. Verse 21. 
But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be liable to judgment. It's not just not murdering somebody. That's the law. It's what's behind that. It's the anger, the jealousy, the rage that takes root in the heart and seethes until it boils over and results in murder. So it's not just the external appearance of murder, it's what lies behind it in the heart where the root of murder takes place when you begin to dislike somebody, when you begin to hate somebody, when you begin to think about ways to rescue this world from them. That's what leads to murder. Jesus says it's not just the outward act of murder that's against God's law. It's the hatred, the anger, the bitterness, the insults that lead to murder. Jesus takes the law and turns it inward. And that's fulfilling and completing the Old Testament law. I've come not to abolish it. I've come to complete it by turning it inward, by helping you see that those external actions have an internal source. And that's the root that needs to be dealt with. So, Jesus came not to abolish the Old Testament, but to complete it, because it's, the Old Testament covenant is written on paper. Jesus teaches what's written on the heart because when you become a Christian, God, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell in you and he writes his law. The New Testament says he writes his law on your heart. And we find out what to do from the Bible and we find out how to do it in our hearts. The Bible tells us what, the, our hearts tell us how. Because the law is not just written on paper anymore. When we become a follower of Christ, he gives us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us. And the Holy Spirit writes his law on our hearts. So believing in, in Jesus, it, becoming a Christian is more than just believing a set of facts, believing something. Becoming a Christian is believing in someone. It's a relationship. And that happens when Jesus enters your heart. When you confess your sins and invite him to come in, he comes in to dwell. <clears throat> and so that's how Jesus says in verse 20, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And most of us Christians who read that initially think, well, the scribes and Pharisees weren't very good people because they were opposed to Jesus. No, the scribes and Pharisees were the most righteous people in their day. Their righteousness was proverbial. They took great pride in their righteousness. And they did things that no one else would even consider or think of doing. So they were the most righteous people in their day. And yet Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds theirs, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. So if a Pharisee makes a 50 or 60 on the test, and our, right, and our righteousness has to exceed theirs, how is that possible? Friends, you and I are still dwelling in the basement of the low tens. And that's why Jesus came. Because Jesus came to die on the cross to give us his righteousness. We are made righteous in Jesus. 
Jesus says if our righteousness isn't better than theirs, we'll never get into heaven. The scribes and Pharisees weren't perfect. They didn't score 100. And that's why we have to exceed that righteousness. But we can't do that. So Jesus came to die so that our righteousness might be in him. Possible by what he did for us. The scribes and Pharisees were all about external appearances. With the inside unchanged. He told them one time, y'all are like whitewashed tombs. All the outside looks nice and pretty, but inside are dead men's bones. But when we belong to Jesus, we become righteous in God's eyes. Good deeds don't save us. Good works don't save us. Observing the law doesn't save us, but, but doing those things are evidence of the fact that we are saved. You can't just do anything you want once you're saved because you're saved by grace. Once you are saved, you want to show that you love God. So the motivation is different. You don't do good deeds in order to earn your salvation. You do good deeds because you love God. And you want to show him how much you love him by your obedience to his word. If you are saved this morning, I rejoice with you. Hallelujah. If you are saved, your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees because you've been made righteous in Jesus by his death on the cross. But if you don't know Jesus, and if he is not your Lord and Savior, you can be saved here this morning, and he will give you his righteousness. He will impart to you his righteousness, that, that transference that took place on the cross, that saves you from your sins, from your failures of the law, that you've been made aware of, and he will write his new law on your heart and give you the desire to live for him. Unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes and Pharisees who were the best men in their day, you'll never get to heaven. But the good news is you can get to heaven through Jesus. Let's bow together. <clears throat> Father, this law and this gospel are all confusing. And there are folks who misunderstand and misinterpret both. And there are those who believe that doing good things can earn them favor. And then there are those on the other extreme that believe that since we're saved by grace, we can do anything we want to and still be forgiven and cleansed. It won't matter. And yet you've come and you've said, Hey, guys, I'm not going to abolish the law and the prophets. I'm going to complete it. I'm going to show you that the law of the Old Testament is just a shadow, a beginning of what God's intentions were. Because the law was about external behavior and appearances, but Jesus showed us a new law that's written on the heart, that grapples with thoughts and ideas and dreams and hopes and aspirations and said, unless we get those under control, we're not gonna be righteous in God's eyes. And we can't do that. We can't do that alone. And so we thank you for sending Jesus, who by his death on the cross imputed to us his righteousness. 
that we were made righteous in Him. We can score a hundred because we believe in Him. And He comes in to our hearts and washes away the sins and makes us white as snow. And begins a new relationship and writes His law on our hearts and then gives us the love and the desire to obey them. God, I've tried to be good in my own, my own power and strength, and I fail time and again. And so I and everyone here who's a follower of yours acknowledges our sin, our need for salvation, and then our desire to let you be the Lord of our lives, to control us and guide us. And then whatever good we do, not earn brownie points, but just be evidence of the love that dwells within us because you're there in our hearts. And it's in your name we pray, amen.